Well, we are talking about living in the power of the resurrection. We're taking the four Sundays of, of April, which are the three Sundays leading up till Easter and Easter Sunday, and we're immersing ourselves in the idea of living in the power of the resurrection. There's a reason why power is big on that, because there's a lot of power available to the children of God. Now, I, I told you something last week, and if you weren't here last week, you can't answer the question, so we'll find out. But I said I want you to think of Easter different for the rest of your life, and I said this. I want you to think that Easter equals something. Easter equals what? Say it. Power. Easter equals power. That's what we've been talking about. Easter is a message of power. In Romans 8.11, we looked at last week, it says, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dwed, from the dwed, from the dead, dwells in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Have you, you know what, if we didn't go any further, we just stopped right there and thought about that? You know how life transforming that is? When you feel weak and powerless, if you understand what is available to us as a child of God, the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit from the Trinity, the, you know, 100% God, dwells in the believers. You know, we found last week that the source, kind of the fountainhead of that power is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it was awesome this last week to have a number of people come and talk to me about how they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit last Sunday and they experienced the power of God in ways they never had before as they were prayed for at the end of church. And we'll end the service this way, this the same way at the end of this service, praying for various things and encourage you to be a seeker. And uh, you say, I want more from God to come and spend time just seeking the Lord in prayer. So it was awesome to hear your stories this week of um, what the Lord did for you last Sunday. Well, today we're going to talk about um, another dimension of living in the power of the resurrection, that we're going to talk about the demonstration of the Spirit's power in our lives. Now, wouldn't that be something we want to get a hold of? We talk about there's power available, but we want to talk about how does the Holy Spirit demonstrate His power in our lives. And we're going to find out, maybe I'm thinking it's going to be looking at some things a little different than you're used to, that the, the ways primarily that God demonstrates His power in our lives is through what we know as the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Now, to, to really get a grasp on, on how this works... We're going to go back in time a little bit um, to a time before uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Last week we did kind of a history lesson, and we talked about the Holy Spirit being poured out upon His church. And I want to go back in time, biblical time, back before that day, back um, before the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all flesh, when, and Jesus talked about that day, looking forward, when the Holy Spirit would fall on his followers. And I want us to understand what he said about that. He understood that the same spirit that, would, that dwelled in him, that same spirit that would raise him from the dead, would, after the day of Pentecost, come and dwell in his church. It would dwell in individual believers' lives. And that's why he said to his church something that I think would have been um, almost impossible to grasp 
He said to those people who he'd walked with for three and a half years, who had seen him do miracles, who had provided, you know, fed 5,000 with a couple loaves and fish, had, had healed blinded eyes, had walked on water, who'd cast out demons. He said to them, guess what? You're better off if I leave you and go to the Father. And they had to say, Jesus, you're crazy. You may be the Son of God, but you don't understand. The best days of my life are right now walking with you. But he understood that when he would ascend to the right hand of the Father, that then the Holy Spirit of God would come and dwell upon the church in a way it never had before and would fill individual believers and that that would have an effect of power on the individual and on the church. Well, let's take a look in our Bibles at what Jesus had to say about when this pour, the power would be poured out upon his church. Turn your Bibles to the book of John. Remember, this is before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. John chapter 7, verses 37, starting in verse 37. John 7, starting in 37. It says, Now, on the last day the great day of the feast. This is the last day of the Feast of Booths, which was a Jewish holiday um, celebration. On the last day of the, of the great feast, the Feast of Booths, Jesus stood and he cried out, saying this, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of, the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus had not been glorified. Look what happens here. Jesus looked down the road of human history, and he saw a day when he would ascend to heaven, and when he ascended, when he's glorified, it says there, the Holy Spirit would come upon the church and would fill or empower or baptize His followers. And that's what we looked at that event last Sunday. As He looked to that day, He described the effects of, of the Spirit, what they would be like in the lives of those who were Spirit-filled. He looks down and He says, in, in some day, the Spirit's going to come and there's going to be a reality of an effect. And He describes it by using a word picture. He uses the imagery of a flowing river. Look what it says there. Verse 38, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He said, when the Spirit comes upon you, it's going to be like a river coming into you. And what Jesus did is he uses an, an image that every person could understand so that he could explain something that wasn't easy to understand. He said that the real life effects of being spirit-filled will be like having a river of God flowing from inside of you out. He says the effects of being spirit-filled will be like a river. The spirit, what's it, what, what do you mean by that? Well, let's take it for very simply what it means. When we think of a river, the effects of a river, a river is a place where there is, where there is life and refreshing. Have you ever been in a desert place? I have. You go in a desert and there's a river that runs through the desert. It can be barren nothingness everywhere, 
and a river flows through, and what do you have? You have life. You have trees. You have shrubs. You have bushes. My way of thinking, you've got critters that live in there. When you have critters, you have hunting. And so rivers are a good thing in a dry place. But there's something else. If you're lost in a desert and you come to a river, it not only is a life which you need to have, but it's refreshing. You know, I like to read Louis L'Amour. One thing that me and your dad have in common, we're Louis L'Amour readers. Westerns, they're all exactly the same. I don't know why I like them. I think because you don't have to think. But they're always, the guy's always getting lost in the desert. It's always some cowboy. He always gets lost in the desert. There's always a pretty woman, and they almost always end up getting together in the end, and they're as clean as could be as, as novels. Nothing inappropriate. But almost every book, there's some point in the Louis L'Amour story where the cowboy's coming through the desert and it's, and it's dry and he's dying of thirst and he comes and he jumps in the river and he starts drinking or you know, drinks out of his hat or something. You know? There's always something because the river represents life and the river represents refreshing. Well, that's the very real imagery Jesus is portraying to, to us as the Spirit's presence. That the Spirit should be a flow that brings life and refreshing. But it goes beyond that. Because anybody who understands rivers understands that not only do they bring life and refreshing, but that the flow of water brings something else. It brings that word right there. It brings power. You know, how do you turn a hydroelectric plant? The power of a river. You know, we don't need to even use our imagination to realize the power of flowing water. We've had the misfortune over the last couple of weeks of watching the destruction of flowing water in the Japanese tsunami. Almost 20,000 people, they believe, are dead and lost because of simply the flow of water into a place. And when we think of water flowing, it speaks of power. I remember a time I was up in the UP and I was fishing for steelhead. You know what, who knows what a steelhead is? It's a rainbow trout that lives in the Great Lakes and comes up a river. So when it comes up the river to spawn, it's called a steelhead. And I was with a guy, actually Josh was with me. We were fishing. I was itinerating for missions, planned my schedule out so he'd be in the UP during this steelhead run. So the pastor took us steelhead fishing. And uh, we, uh, we went out and we went steelhead fishing. We're in this great big river. And uh, it's flowing, it's spring, and there's snow everywhere. And I'm on this side of the river, and I want to get to that side of the river that's about by the other wall. And it's just a river. I mean, it's about this deep, and you would think it's nothing. Well, I tried to navigate walking across that river, and guess what I found out? Rivers are powerful. About halfway through, I slipped in a rock, fell under the water, filled up my waders, dragged me down the river a ways. I stood back up. Didn't want anybody to see me because I wanted to be laughed at. Stood back up, crawled to the other side of the river, took my waders off, dumped out the water, wrung out my clothes, put it on, and went back fishing. And didn't tell anybody and fished the whole day in the snow um, because the steelhead were running. And had to stay there, and you're not going to leave. And so what I found out is rivers that are moved, even if they look pretty, are powerful. That's the imagery that Jesus is giving here. That out of our innermost being will flow rivers of living water. It will be a place of life, a place of refreshing, a place of power. And his teaching also shows that the Spirit's power is something, and that's what I want you to get, it's something that is internal, that is expressed externally. He says, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. It's flowing from the inside, and the Spirit dwells within us, and it's meant to be expressed or revealed. It's not meant to be kept. It's meant to flow out of the person who receives it. It's apparent that Jesus meant for us to understand that living a Spirit-filled life 
is meant to be a spiritually powerful life. And that the work of the Spirit inside would have an outward reality. Correct? Do you think that's what Jesus was teaching here? That's a very plain interpretation of what he's saying. Now, with that imagery of the flowing river, let's take that idea of what it means for the Spirit to be within us and flow out of us and move it forward into how we live and, and how we think. And it's, this is what I want you to understand. The reality of the Spirit's power in our lives is primarily expressed in two ways. You say, how does the Spirit work? How does the Spirit flow? There's two primary ways the Spirit's power is expressed in your life and in my life. The first thing is this, what the Spirit does in our lives as that river is flowing through us. And what the Spirit does through our lives when the Spirit does flow through us and out of us. And the Scriptures tell us about what the Spirit does in our lives through the flow of the Spirit, and he calls it, in the Scriptures, the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. The Spirit flowing from our innermost being out of us produces something in us, and what it produces in us is the fruit of the Spirit. And when the Spirit then flows out of us and begins to affect those around us, it's described in Scripture by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And these are the areas that we want to center on today. Friends, understand, the outward flow of the Spirit from the inside out is designed to change us from the inside out, producing a different character in us than we ever had, and Scripture calls that the, 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 um, the Spirit's fruit in our lives, and then that flow of the Spirit through us um, is designed by God to flow by His presence with various different ways that the Bible calls the gifts of the Spirit that are designed then to demonstrate to others the reality of the power of God that flows through the life of a believer. So let's first of all talk about the idea of the fruit of the Spirit. Now just think about something. What is a fruit? Now, not a goofy person. And I'm not talking spiritually. I'm talking in the natural. What is fruit? Fruit is just quite simply, it's the product that is produced from a healthy fruit-bearing tree or bush um, or plant. You plant an apple seed, you grow an apple tree, you keep it healthy, you give it everything it needs to develop, and it will produce apples. That's fruit. Spiritual life is the same as that. A spiritually healthy, healthy believer develops spiritual fruit, spiritual qualities, as the Holy Spirit influence, influences them and changes them and transforms a person from the inside out. That's what we know as the fruit of the Spirit. There is a, a definite byproduct of the Spirit's activity in the life of Christ followers. The Apostle Paul addresses this idea in the book of Galatians where he confronts a group of people who are Christ followers but they're not acting like Christ followers they're not exhibiting the right qualities they're not exhibiting what he's going to call the fruit of the spirit instead they're displaying wrong behaviors and attitudes and he reminds them of something he says to them that if they really are spirit filled if they, and he uses this term if they are really walking by the spirit then there should be a definite character, a list of character traits that should be evident in their lives, and that if those qualities are not evident, that they are being dominated by the sinful flesh and not the Holy Spirit. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. Where the Apostle Paul was addressing these people who are not living and walking right, even though they claim to be Christ followers. And listen to what he says. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. 
And I want you to pay attention to how he puts this as the reality of the Holy Spirit's influence in the life of a person. Galatians 5, you getting there? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not... And notice, is that, is that a capital S in your Bible? Spirit? It's Holy Spirit. It's, 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 the, it's the Spirit of God. I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And look what the Apostle Paul does here. He draws a very clear distinction. He says, if one is spirit-empowered, there will be a reality. There will be evidence, and he calls it fruit. He says, if you're spirit-empowered, you have the fruit of the spirit or the development of the spirit, and it will be shown through character traits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, however, if a person is not spirit-empowered, there will also be evidence, and he goes through this whole list of what he calls deeds of the flesh that involve things like anger and outbursts of anger and and idolatry and sorcery and and jealousy and all this stuff that he attributes to this living by the the, um, influence of our humanity that is not yet surrendered to Christ. And here's the way I want you to think about this. When you come to Christ... You, and you welcome the Spirit's fullness and activity into your life. The effects of your flesh your, that, 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 have been, that have controlled your life begin to give way to the effects of the Spirit within you. And in essence, what is happening when you invite the presence of the Spirit into your life, that it's like cutting off the flow of the negative from the flesh... And it's opening up the flow of the life-giving spirit which produces spiritual results. And it works something like this. Maybe you've lived a life where where anger and strife and disputes um, um, have been the norm for you your whole life. You know, you've been raised to kill or be killed. You know, kind of the lifestyle that, that many of us were, were raised like. Inside of you, you're full of anger. Matter of fact, I was thinking about this and I was thinking of Josh. And uh, Josh works, not that you're full of anger, <laughs> that Josh works at Walgreens. And almost every day, Josh, when he comes from Walgreens, I say to him, how was your day? And he's usually just like, ah. And I say, why? Anybody who work in retail will understand this. He'll say, this old lady walked in, and she had a coupon, and it was expired. And she said, no, it's not. And I'd say, yes, ma'am, it is. No, it's not. And she'd be throwing things around and slamming on the counter, and they walk out mad. And he'll go, I get the manager, and he gets the manager, and the manager says, I'm sorry, ma'am. And they scream and yell at him. 
And then he'll say, and then this guy walked in and, and he didn't just wouldn't read the sign. The sign said, not 50% off. The sign said, 50% off. If you buy two, you get one free. So you've got to buy another one. You know, you can't buy six of them and have 50% off. And every day he comes home and he says this. And as he says this, what we often talk about is I say, look how angry people are. Any little thing goes on. They're talking about a 25% cent coupon doesn't work right. And they scream at a stranger, who I would say is a very kind, good-looking young man. <laughs> and they scream at him and say, it's your fault that it's costing me a nickel more. And then they, they blow up and they embarrass themselves. And he says, every day, he comes home, he says, every day. He said, there's certain people walk in the store and everybody's like, oh no, I don't want to wait on that person. Because they know they're going to get yelled at, they're going to be mistreated. And they got to smile because the customer's always right and treat them with love and respect. You know what? There's a lot of people who just right on their surface, they're a cauldron of anger. You know what that is? That's the reality of a life ruled by the flesh. But then think of this. But then Jesus enters a life. Jesus enters your life. Maybe you were filled with anger. And you, you pray for the fullness of the Spirit of God. You say, God, I want to be full of you. I want to be empowered by your Spirit's fullness. And this Holy Spirit, you welcome Him in. And you say, begin to transform me. Begin to change me. And that life-giving flow of the Holy Spirit within you begins to flow into you. And God's reality and God's fruit begin to grow within you. And love begins to grow and joy begins to grow and peace begins to grow. And now a situation arises that causes you to blow your top. Maybe your coupon didn't work the way it's supposed to. At least the way you thought it was supposed to. And you blow your top and you lose your temper, but something's different this time since Jesus is in your life. There is this small voice inside saying to you, and usually after the event, is, is that really the way you want to act? That a feeling begins to well up inside of you and it says, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of uncomfortable with the way I just responded to that person. You go, what's that all about? What's going on in my life? And you understand that it's the Spirit working within you. That that flow of the Spirit's river from the inside to the out is becoming to work inside of you. And it's beginning to change your very core, your very nature, the very way you think about life from the inside out as the presence of the Spirit begins to affect you. You begin to trade in the old junk for the new, fresh flow of the Spirit. And you begin to say, God, help me. I don't want to be ruled by this junk anymore. And the next time you walk into Walgreens... And the same guy says the same thing. Sorry, sir. That coupon doesn't work here. And you begin to act and react the way you always have. But this time, there's just kind of check in your spirit. And you hear the voice of the Spirit of God. You feel the resistance of the Holy Spirit saying, Do you really want to act out the way you did last time? Do you really want to act according to the flesh? And you ask the Lord, you say, God, I don't want to act that way anymore. And you're probably not even in your mind saying, I want the fruit of the Spirit, but you're saying, God, I want to be different. And God says, when you want to be different, I'll help you to change. And he, the way He develops that is by giving us the fruit of the Spirit. And friends, in time, through the process of very real life situations, as you partner with the Holy Spirit, the fruit begins to grow and the flesh begins to die. You begin to partner with the Spirit. And it says that as I walk by the Spirit, I will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And you say, now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with His passions and desires. And if you walk by the Spirit, let us also, if you, if you live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And you recognize the Spirit begins to take control of your life. 
Friends, the fruit of the Spirit is the result of a partnership between you and the Holy Spirit. We follow His lead. We surrender to, to His desires. And He brings transformation into us. Friends, how wonderful it is to say, after you've allowed this process to go on for a while, and you read Galatians 5 and you say this, but the fruit of the Spirit in Mark's life is love, joy, peace, patience. What it used to be, anger, bickering, fighting. How wonderful it is to say the fruit of the Spirit in Suzanne's life is love, joy, peace, patience, what it may be with something else. How good it is to say to yourself, the fruit of the Spirit in my life is now love, joy, peace, patience. Friends, that's the reality of the fruit of the Spirit that's developing as the Spirit of God, with like a river, starts inside and we partner with Him and He begins to transform us in our very core and our personality. So the fruit is the reality of the Spirit working within us from the inside out to transform us. Are we understanding that? Got that down. Now let's... We have to deal with these things together today, fruit and gifts. Matter of fact, I would say this. I was hesitating to say this, I'm going to say it now as we get into the next section. I think this is probably the most misunderstood teaching in all of Pentecostal and Charismatic churches. I think what we're talking about today is the most misunderstood. People think it's one or the other. It's fruit of the gifts. They think it's go crazy or just be kind. And I'm going to show you that. No. God, it's all the result of the flow of the Holy Spirit coming out of you. And that God designs to marry them together. So let's talk about now, we talked about what a fruit is, the fruit of the Spirit. Now let's talk about the gifts of the Spirit and kind of do that kind of briefly. And then we're going to talk about how do these two things work in conjunction to accomplish the goals that God wants accomplished in His, in his, in his church. So we talk about fruit. Let's look at, at the gifts of the Spirit. As we think about gifts of the Spirit, first simply understand they're exactly what they say they are. They're gifts. Do you earn a gift? No. Do you even deserve a gift? No. A gift is something that is given. It's not earned. It's not deserved. And a gift of the Spirit is, this is what simply what it is. It is the Holy Spirit doing something supernatural through a Christian to or for someone else. Almost always, to or for someone else. It is the flow of the Spirit in our lives, through our lives, to another life. And let's look at, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is one of the main lists of the Holy Spirit gifts. It's not the only one, but it's the gift, it's a list of them where they are the, the manifestation gifts, the ones we, we really see, the demonstration gifts. Look at chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Read the first 11 verses. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Now, the Apostle Paul just deals with stuff matter-of-factly. He's writing to a group of Christians. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, let's get this straight. What are they? He says, I don't want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. 
But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. What do we see here in this, in this teaching from the Apostle Paul? He says three things I want, you to, I want you to grasp about gifts of the Holy Spirit. First of all, they're for the common good. Verse 7. They're for the common good. They're not for me just to enjoy and have fun with. They're for the common good. They're to bless everybody. Number two, they're given by the Spirit. They're not given by a person. They're given by the Spirit. And they're given to whom the Spirit chooses. Now let me explain this to you in a way that I think I've explained to you before. And how about if I, if I pick on Pastor Bruce and Josh? Pick on you a lot today. I want you to stand up here. Let's, let's, let's tell a little story. Pastor Bruce, you've been sick today, so we're going to use you. Pastor Bruce and Josh both work at Walgreens. Okay, that PhD didn't get you very far, buddy. <laughs> we're both working at Walgreens. Can I at least be his boss? You can be his boss. Okay. You are his boss. Good. Good. Awesome. They both work at Walgreens, but here's the deal. Um, let's just say for now, Pastor Bruce, um, he could or couldn't be, but let's say Pastor Bruce doesn't know Jesus. You know, he, he doesn't know the Lord. You're co-workers, and, and you, you're friends, and you like each other. And um, you work together, and, and maybe you've even talked about Jesus at times. Maybe you haven't. But um, you're, you're at work one day, and, and Bruce says to you, you're, you're both working at the front counters, and, and no one's around, and he says, Josh, uh, i got something to tell you. And you say, what is it? I went to the doctor yesterday, and, and they, they, they found this lump, and you know I, I got this thing, and they think that I have cancer. And matter of fact, they're sure it's cancer. And you're like, oh, man, I can't believe that. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing as good as I can do. You know, we're going through it. We're going to figure out what the doctors say. And, and, uh, but they're, they're convinced it's cancer. And you go, oh boy, and you say this, Josh says, you know, man, um, could I, would it be okay if I prayed for you? And, and Bruce says, well, of course, you know, anybody can pray for me. And he goes, how about, something, how about if I pray with you? And Bruce says, yeah. And so Josh says, how about right after work, we get at the same time today, how about right after work we just, we just uh, get together in the back room and we, we talk for a few minutes and I pray for you. And Bruce says, I, I love that, man. I'm scared. So work comes and it ends and you guys get together. And Josh says, you know, Bruce, I want to I pray for you. Now Josh doesn't have any ability to heal Bruce. None. He doesn't have the ability. No person does. But Josh understands something, that God heals. And so Josh says to, to Bruce, I'm just going to pray for you, and maybe he, there's no certain way. Maybe he just says, can I put my hand on, my, on your shoulder? And he, he lays his hand on his shoulder, and he just prays a simple faith. He says, God, would you heal my friend? He's got cancer, touch him. This is how the Holy Spirit works. Now, I'm not trying to say I'm God or the Holy Spirit, but say I'm the Holy Spirit right now. And the Holy Spirit is in this situation. And the Holy Spirit takes a gift, and he gives it to Josh. He puts it in his hand. And he begins to pray for Bruce. And he delivers the gift to Bruce. And Bruce goes to the doctor. And they go, maybe nothing magic. Maybe he's instantly healed. Maybe not. Maybe he says, oh, something's different. But maybe he doesn't. And they get done and he says, oh, thanks for praying for me. And they go back to work. Next day and the next day. And Bruce has his doctor appointment. And he comes home. And he goes, Josh, i got to tell you something. You're not going to believe this. The doctors were convinced it's cancer. It's not cancer. I'm all better. And they celebrate and they go, praise the Lord for what God has done. Friends, you guys can have a seat. That's how gifts of the Spirit work. Did Josh deserve to be used to deliver a gift? No. Did Bruce deserve to receive the gift? No. What happened is Josh, simply by faith, 
reached up to God. And he said, God, if you want to use me, then use me. And the Spirit of the Lord delivered a gift. It's a gift. Through one of his children to another person. And they were, they were healed. It's, why, it's how we could celebrate last Sunday or Sunday before when Candy said, I was laying on the gurney. They're, try, they're getting ready to knock me out at the hospital to have a procedure because they're telling me my liver is shot. It's not working. They're going to go in there and do some kind of biopsies and tests. And the doctor takes three different blood samples and comes back and says, I don't get it. I don't get it, Candy. But you're not, you're, you don't have, your liver's working fine. That's a gift of the Spirit delivered. Now, do we always understand how it's delivered? No. But that's what they're talking about here. That the gifts of the Spirit are for the common good. They're given by the Spirit to whom the Lord chooses. And I would tell you this. When you're praying and it happens, oftentimes you don't even know the spirit, the spiritual gift's been given. Sometimes when I pray for people, I've actually had times, honestly, I was talking to some people in the office about this the other day. I remember praying for people at times and I swear electricity flies out of my hands. I stopped the service one time. I'm like, can you see that? I don't know what's going on. Pray for people. I get about a foot from their head and bam, they'd fall on the ground. I'm like, wow, that's great. <laughs> I stopped the church service. A brand new pastor. I said, did anybody see that? <laughs> They're like, wow. Next person comes up, a foot from bam, and they fall on the ground. I'm like, this is cool. Never happened that way again in my life. But I've seen people healed. I can't tell you if that day anybody was healed or set free from stuff. But I know many times I pray for people and they come back and they've gone better. Here's the deal. It doesn't have anything to do with being pastor. It has to do with being a child of God. Because God, it says by the Spirit, gives gifts to whom He wants when He wants. Not according to us. We're just simply the delivery system. We're the UPS. But we just don't always know. So, so God loves for us to pray for people. Because He may well deliver a gift through you. That's how the gifts of the Spirit work. I want to take just a few minutes right now because we're going to tie these together in just one second. But I want to explain to you, I just, let's go through the list of the gifts real quick. Because I want to explain to you how, what these gifts are because you're going to ask for God to do them in your life. In 1 Corinthians 12, let's just take about 10 seconds on each one. So I can explain these manifestation gifts. The kind of gifts, what kind of gifts that God would want to deliver through you. So the first one listed is the word of wisdom. It's simply a message of specific wisdom for a specific situation. You don't have any answer. You're praying for another person and then God says, you know what, here's the wisdom for the situation. Here's what they need to know for the situation to work out. You don't know why you know it. God just speaks it into your heart. A word of knowledge. God reveals something about a person or circumstance to you. You know what, I've got to tell you, I don't usually like being used by gifts, in gifts of knowledge. You know why? Because every time in my life it's something God tells me something about somebody that's not good. And I've got to go to them and say, well, the reason this is happening is because of this. Honestly, I can tell you about a time a lady was in the hospital, and maybe I've told this with you, told you before, in another state, in the hospital, dying on her deathbed. Doctors can't figure it out. I'm praying for her, and the Lord says, I, she is sick and going to die because she's in rebellion. Do not pray for her. She called me on the phone, Pastor, you've got to come pray for me. I'm dying. And it's clear as somebody talking to me, the Spirit talked to me. Well, guess what? When the Spirit talks to you and I say it's clear, it's still not that clear. I'm saying, well, God, I'm not so certain. <laughs> How do I say? I'm the pastor. I've got to do it, God. And I go there and I look at the lady in the bed and I say, take a step. I, I take faith. <laughs> step of faith and I go, you know what? I can't pray for you. God told me you're sick 
because you're in rebellion. She starts crying, squalling. You're right. God told me the same thing. She repents of her things. She gets healed just like that. Gets out of bed. Doctors can't figure it out. She repents. And the end result was she was in rebellion. They left her husband. She came back to her husband. They had been divorced for 10, 12 years. She reconciled with her husband. They got remarried. She's completely healed. No, I'm not saying that always happens that way. But she knew she was in rebellion. Gifts of miracles. Simply the Holy Spirit's power that alters the normal course of nature. I really believe I saw one of these demonstrated one time. Man, you're getting picked on a lot today. I'm going to pick on you again today, Josh. Josh is a little kid. Kids have great faith. That's why we talked about kids become like a little child and a dedication. We were trying to paint our house one time. It's the honest truth. Trying to paint our house on a summer day and a huge storm is rolling in. And I'm like, oh, nuts. You know what we did? I've got to paint the house. I've got to get this done, the outside of the house. And we're in there, and I said, I can't paint. starting to drizzle outside, and this huge you know, storm is coming in. And Josh, a little boy, he goes, don't worry, Dad, I'll take care of it. Honestly, I'm thinking, what is he talking about? He's about this big. And I got ladders set up outside. He goes out, and Suzanne and I follow him out. Like, what is he doing? He crawls up on the ladder. He looks at the sky, and he goes, peace, be still. <laughs> and the, I'm not lying. The clouds separate and go around the house. And it rains everywhere else except on our house. And I'm like... What in the world was that? You know? And Suzanne saw it, I saw it. And I'm, I'm like, Josh, every time we're going to go hunting or something, you know, stand up on a ladder, it never worked the same again. But, um, but that's, that's, that's a miracle. It alters something of a normal course of, of nature. Prophecy. It's a word of revelation from God for a situation. Prophetic word is a word often futuristic, but a word from God delivered to man. Distinguishing of spirits. It's the ability to discern if something is good or evil. You know, the Bible tells there's all kinds of wolves in sheep's clothing. God gives you a gift to understand that person says they're a sheep, but they're really a wolf. Very important in the leading of the church. Tongues, speaking in a language you don't know, to give a message to an individual or church, the interpretation of tongues, the native language, to understand what that was said and, and, and repeat it. These are gifts of the Holy Spirit. And friends, here's what I want you to get today. A Spirit-filled believer needs to be open to the Spirit giving these gifts to you and through you. And you say, why? I don't really want that. Because God wants to bless His church. And He wants to reveal His reality to the onlooking world, and He wants to bless you by working through you in the process. It's not about rank. It's not about title. It's about availability and hunger. And say, God, I want to be used. You see, in many places in the Scriptures, here's what I want you to understand about this today. Many places in the Scriptures, signs and wonders which just are basically various gifts of the Spirit, are called attesting miracles. They are given by God through a Christian to attest to, the valid, to attest to or validate the gospel message. And if you read through the Scriptures, you'll find that at most miracles are given in times and places where the gospel is being presented and people are considering its merits and its validity. And the Holy Spirit gives gifts, miraculous gifts, to show the people that what the speaker is saying is real. So often the Apostle Paul comes into a place, do miracles, and people say, let's listen to what he has to say. Attesting miracles. Friends, that's why God loves for you to not only tell your friends about Jesus, but to pray for their needs, to what we did right here this morning. God loves to heal people so they can come to know Him as Savior and Lord. And that's what the gifts of the Spirit are really all about. God flowing through you for the common good. Now, let's tie them together as we end. Let's wrap this up by explaining how the fruit and the gifts are to operate together for the common good. 
Friends, God wants to flow through His church with gifts of the Spirit. However, at times, churches that strive to be Spirit-filled, this is a common problem, this is why I said it's misunderstood, strive to be Spirit-filled can become misdirected and fixate on spiritual gifts and manifestations. And that's what the Corinthian church did and Paul needed to address it. The way that a church or an individual can get off track on spiritual gifts is three ways. Number one, by allowing the gifts to bring disorder and chaos into the church family. By two, by elevating certain people who function in the gifts to an unhealthy position and saying somehow they're super saints. And in essence what happens is they elevate them and they rob the glory of God. And number two, they put other people down and they create division in the body of Christ. That's another way it causes problems. And number three by people selfishly manifesting the gifts of the Spirit without concern for those who don't understand what's happening. And those three things are defined in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Um, that's all they're saying is that, that you have to operate, the gifts of the Spirit have to operate in a certain way. And the question is this, how do we then keep the wrong stuff from happening while earnestly desiring spiritual gifts? Because 1 Corinthians 14.1 says this to you and me earnestly desire spiritual gifts. It doesn't say maybe. It says to you and me, we should earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So how do we keep the bad from happening while seeking after a spirit-filled lifestyle? And the answer is one word. Fruit. It's why we had to start with fruit. The way to keep it on track is the fruit of the Spirit. Think of it this way. The fruit of the Spirit are like tracks of a train. And I'll just lay, lay two of them here. They're kind of over-encompassing over all the fruit of the Spirit. Let's just say this. The operation of the church. Love and unity are the tracks of the train. The fruit of the Spirit are like train tracks. What do train tracks do for a train? This love, this unity, this, this, this peace, these right attitudes. What do the tracks do for a train? Well, first of all, the tracks guide the train. They make sure the train's going in the right direction. Second, they keep the, they keep the train going you know, in the right direction. So when it's got time to turn, they turn. They'll go straight. They go straight. Another thing they do is they, they keep people who are living near the tracks safe. If you live near train tracks, odds are the train's not going to hit your house. Because the tracks hold the train on the tracks, right? The tracks keep you safe. We build houses all along train tracks. Why? Because we know unless something goes wrong, the tracks keep the train in the right place, and it's safe for those along the sides of the tracks. So the tracks, this, this fruit, are like the tracks of a train. They guide it. And then the, what's, what's the train? The train is the church. The train is the individual who is filled with the Holy Spirit. And the, tra- the train sits on the tracks. And I want you to understand this today. The way to have the gifts in operation in a healthy way is to be guided by the fruit of the Spirit. To always be asking, is what's going on a blessing to the people assembled? Or is it just for one person? Is it a blessing for all? Remember, said the common good. Is it a blessing for everyone? Will my, ask the question, will my freedom to operate in this gift somehow hurt someone's faith journey if they don't understand what's going on? Those are the kind of questions that love asks. Love says, yeah, we want the power, we want the demonstration, but they've got to demonstrate and operate in the right way. The tracks have to guide what's going on. We let love guide us. We let love for others temper our own personal wants and desires and freedoms. We say, for the good of the common, I won't just do what I feel like doing. 
Because so often in spiritual gifts operating, there is the, the Bible says this, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. We have control of what God does through us. When the gifts of the spirit operate through us, it's not that we're out of control and, and we're just being dwell or being forced by the spirit. No, we partner with it and we choose to cooperate or not cooperate. We choose to do it to function how we function in the gifts of the spirit. And so if we ask the question, is this loving in how it's demonstrated, then it doesn't get off track. Church, here's the reality. We want to be Spirit-filled. We want the train of Portview Church to be stoked with Holy Spirit gifts and power so that, so that we are blessed, that we are healed and changed, and that we are used by God to bring unbelievers into a right relationship with God. Because these gifts are the, our power for validating what we believe and we preach. That happens, friends. When what we do in the Spirit is guided by love. When what we do is guided by the fruit. Friends, the power of the resurrection flows through us with gifts that are guided by the Spirit. That's God's plan. The tracks. Love, unity. Love, unity. Here's the train. We're praying. Us. Portview. Us as individuals. God stoked the train. God, fire up the burner. Let the gifts be revealed in in powerful ways, but in ways that don't hurt people who are standing on the sidelines. In ways that bring unity instead of division. That's what a spirit-filled church is all about.